chapter 1, Titus of the New Testament, chapter 1. I thank God for the local church. One of the few places in the world that allows us to have a local and a global view that is redemptive and hopeful because of the gospel of our great God, Jesus Christ. I thank God for Damien's word today that we never arrive. Um, We have to go into the fire from time to time to be molded, remolded, to be reshaped, to be brought back out, to be put back in, to be brought back out, to be put back in. And that when we can admit our brokenness and even as we sing today, our need for the Lord which sometimes as Westerners, as Americans, it's not easy for us to admit that we have needs because we can be such an individualistic, materialistic, capitalistic society. Uh, Whereas for many believers who are suffering persecution and violence on every hand, these kinds of songs are prayers and they are real. We need you, Lord. But even still here in America, Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. And the church needs you. And so I do my best to preach not only topical sermons, and even when I do that, I'm going to do that expositionally. As Brother Eric was saying today in the men's class, that means speaking within the context of the scripture and not just lifting a scripture out. So I like to do topical messages, but those messages will also be contextual. But then I also like to work the church through various books of the Bible so that we can have a central thought to try to understand what the writer was dealing with and who the recipients were and what they were facing and why that letter was important to them then and it is even important to us now. And so as I was praying, I said, man, Titus would be a good book. It's not too long. It's three chapters. We can get through this. And I think I'm seeing now why this book was selected, why we're in this book, because this is about how to be a good church, to be a good people. And right now, more than ever, we need to understand what it means to be a good church. A good church that has good leaders and good teaching and that is involved in good works. And so, Lord, remind us afresh of who we are and what our assignment is. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you that we can come into your house Uh, Even as we sang, uh, so many generations and peoples are represented in your house. And we thank you, Lord, and we worship you. You are good. Thank you that uh, we get to not only be in your presence, but we get to leave from your presence to let our light shine and to be people who are salt, uh, people who do good works, people who represent you in word and in deed. Thank you that we all are missionaries. Uh, We all have a calling on our lives and we bless you for that so help us lord to live up to what we have attained Um, give us the grace to walk in what you have called and led us to do and use titus these pages may they jump into our hearts today thank you lord in jesus name amen a good church starts with good leadership I don't care where that church, church, where that church is, where it's located, what denomination it is. It has to have good 
leadership. So a good church starts with good leadership. And so a question is, what is leadership? Well, according to Peter Northhouse, leadership is a process whereby an individual influences a group of individuals to achieve a common goal. So what is leadership? It's a process whereby one person influences a group of people to achieve a common goal. So you know that you are a leader when you can influence people to do something, something that you are ascribing to or something that you are pointing towards that people will follow you in that endeavor or they will go do what you are asking them to do. And so you're able to have influence with people on people, over people. And the thing about leadership is that it is tested and proven in the crucible of difficulty. Anyone can lead when things are easy and when things are calm, when things are peaceful. But true leadership is tested and even proven when things are not easy, when things are not calm, when things are stressful, when things are hard. That's when leaders are proven. And so it brings up a question that has been asked for years, and that is, are leaders born or are they made? Leaders, are they born or are they made? And some would argue and say it's both. Leaders are born. Sometimes you meet people who are naturally gifted in leadership. They're natural born leaders. Even when they're children, people are always following them somewhere to the sandlot or over here, over there. They're always leading people. And so sometimes we're born with an innate ability to lead people. And that comes from God. And we'll either use that for God or we'll use it for ourselves or even for the enemy, for Satan. But leaders are also made. Leaders can be developed. That's part of what discipleship is. We're discipling people, uh, people to become leaders in the things of God. And so people can be made into leaders and, uh, and so we're both born as a leader and we can even be developed into becoming a leader. Even at your job, you can have an apprentice, someone that you are training to take your place. In the school, teachers are working with students and they're promoting them in classrooms because they see something in them. And so they're trying to develop the leadership gift that they see in them. And to some degree, we are all leaders and we all have influence over people. And again, how are we using it? But uh, I had one professor share with me that, yes, leaders can be born. And yes, leaders can be developed. But many times, leaders arise when problems arise. Leaders are pulled out. They're not always born. They're not always developed. But in certain moments and times in history, certain episodes will cause a leader to be pulled out or to rise to the occasion. And one of my uh, heroes is Dr. Martin Luther King, who, when he went to Montgomery, Alabama to pastor Dexter Avenue Baptist Church while finishing up his doctorate, he was pulled into the civil rights movement. He didn't volunteer or step into it. He didn't ride on the scene on the white horse gallantly, you know, triumphantly saying, I'm going to lead this movement. No, he was one of several preachers that just happened to be pulled out of it because they saw something in him. And when the moment had arisen, he had been pulled into that national limelight and he led well. And I have to say, even in my life, 
Um, I've been pulled in because of a call. I've been pulled in because of this insatiable desire to obey God. And I looked at myself and I saw that I was incapable of doing anything good. So anything good would have to come from God and his grace working in spite of my weaknesses, recognizing that I have a God who says when you're weak, that's when you're strong. So you're qualified to serve me. And so he pulled me out. I wasn't born to be a leader. Yeah, I had people investing in me, but there was a moment where it was like, Lord, okay, you're calling me. You're pulling me out for a specific assignment. And when you feel that urge, that tug, that pull, you respond by stepping up. You step into the fray. That's what leaders do. Now, Titus, he was a proven leader. We called him God's Navy SEAL and Paul had given him several assignments and one of those assignments was to help shape this island of Crete. Believers were there. They had possibly been converted on the day of Pentecost and Acts 2 had gone back to the island and Christianity began to grow. Paul and Titus went there at some point during after his first imprisonment in Rome at the close of the book of Acts. And while they're there, they're developing and discipling people. But Paul says, now there comes a time for the church, this body, to have some order to it. Just like your body, you are an organism, a living thing, but you are a living thing with structure and organization. Your skeleton fits together in a certain way. And so Paul is saying the church is alive, but now it's time for organization and order. So let's start off with leadership. Let's get the leaders in place to begin putting the order in the church at Crete. And the church at Crete was not a building. Buildings did not come until the second or third century. People met in homes or they met out by the riverside or uh, they met under trees. The church was a body. It was a movement. And so Paul said, I need you to bring order to it because there are Christians in every city on this island. That is the size of what we would call today Rhode Island. And so he said, out of these 90 to 100 cities that make up this island, there are Christians all over the place. So I need you to do what we're about to read, and that is appoint elders in every city as I've commanded you. Let's get some order to the church on the island of Crete. Because if we're going to have a good church or good churches, we've got to have good leaders. So look at Titus chapter 1 verse 5. Paul says, for this reason... I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking. Pause. Every church has things that are lacking. Every church has things that need to get set in order. And it's just like your house. You can clean your house one minute and five minutes later it look like you didn't clean it. Because your kids can go through there. You can leave your shoes. Like when we unpacked last night, I had bought some comic books when I was in Orlando. And those comics were scattered in the living room this morning. When I got up, I was like, ugh, the kids straightened up the house. And I messed up the house with my comic books. I did unto them what they have done unto me. Ooh, wow. You can have order, then it becomes a place of disorder. The church can be like that. You can get this area together, then that area unravels. So it's never where it's always all together all of the time. Every church has times where it lacks order and things need to be set straight. And so with this church in Crete, Paul said, I need you to appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. 
So he left that man there with an awesome responsibility to appoint elders. And so today we're following up what we started last week, what the church needs now. Part two, what the church needs now. What do we need now? We need good leaders. And so we have learned and we will learn. These are the things we're looking at right now. What is an elder? What do elders do if he had to appoint them? What do they do? Who qualifies to be an elder? How are elders appointed? How is the church to relate to elders? All right, now some of you are saying, man, I'm not digging this. Man, I need you to preach something else right now. Give me something about my destiny or my purpose, my blessing. Preach some of that stuff to me, man. I don't understand all of this. Well, we're people who go through the whole counsel of God and not just the parts you like or the parts I like. So, again, we're preaching expositionally, and there is a word here. And although this may not specifically apply to you, I guarantee God is speaking to some people as we get into these scriptures. Uh, maybe people that he's going to talk about concerning becoming an elder or people he's going to sharpen as far as their leadership qualities in their home or at their job in the community. So God's going to use this word. And this word is a lot like um, what's under the hood of your car. Like, I don't understand what goes on under the hood of a car. Uh, I know how to put gas in. That's it. I can change a tire, but I don't know anything about a carburetor. I don't know anything about changing oil. I don't know any of that stuff. And, but that stuff is all up under the hood, it's an import, and it's important. And when something goes wrong, I'm sitting there flabbergasted because I need to have a working knowledge of what's under the hood. This is the kind of stuff that is under the hood. Talking about church leadership. And it's not until something goes wrong in the church that now all of a sudden we want to understand how do elders work how, how does the church government fit well let's pay attention now during this tutorial so that if and when there's a breakdown we at least know where the oil goes we at least have a working knowledge of stuff that's under the hood of the church so let's jump into this last week we looked at what is an elder and we said it began in jewish culture Elders were older, spiritually mature men who led families and tribes in Israel. When Moses had been raised up by the Lord, as a matter of fact, he was pulled out, you know, to go and do what really no one thought could be done. And that is to confront the mightiest man in the land at the time, Pharaoh, and to tell him to let God's people go. And that's the thing about leaders. God never calls the qualified, but he qualifies every leader that he calls. No leader can do what God's called them to do in his or her own strength. They must rely on the strength of God. And the confidence comes from the calling of God. Because faithful is he who calls who will also do it. Doesn't mean you won't get resisted. Doesn't mean you won't get tested. But God will do it through the weak and broken leader. Moses was weak and broken. And so Moses, before he even went to Pharaoh, he went to the elders of Israel. Even in slavery for 400 years, they maintain their communal aspect as a people. They understand who the elders were. And for that culture, you did not make major decisions without uh, consulting the elders. That would be disrespectful. And so Moses understood order. He went to the elders, Exodus 3.16, and let them know what God had shared with him. And so that's where we see this term elder, bearded one, a man of spiritual maturity. But in the early church, because the church was grafted into Judaism or from Judaism, we do not forget our Jewish heritage. Um, Jesus was Jewish. The prophets, many of, all of them were Jewish. 
the apostles, you know, so we don't uh, become a kind of people uh, that, that is passively anti-Semitic. No, we, we embrace, we respect, and we thank God for our Jewish roots. And so we learn even in the church, there were certain things that carried over into the new covenant, the new work of the church. And one of those was elders. In the early church, elders assisted the apostles in leading the church. So Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation, but the church, according to Ephesians, is built upon the apostles as well. So Jesus handpicked, chose, and ordained, and even authorized 12 individuals that the church might be built up. And so either they wrote the scripture or they were able to give their support upon someone who wrote someone else who wrote the scripture so with the word and the miracles that they did the preaching of the gospel traveling around from place to place seeing the church expand the apostles uh, but the bible says in acts chapter 15 verse 2 that with the church in jerusalem there was this community of leaders where it was apostles and elders and when they sent a letter to the church at antioch it was addressed from the apostles and the elders. So you saw this unit that was working back in Acts chapter 15, verses 2, 4, and 23. And so to sum it up, Pastor, what is an elder? Paul wants Titus to appoint elders. Well, elders are spiritually mature men who are called by God and ordained to lead the local church. So elders, they're spiritually mature, at least we hope so. And that's why next week we'll get into those qualifications, things that show spiritual maturity. And elders are to lead the church. And they are called by God, ordained men lay hands on them to bear witness of their gifts and to authorize them to lead the local church. Last week we talked about how the terms elder, bishop, and pastor can be used interchangeably to describe different facets of the men who lead the church. A bishop or an overseer, you know, to see over the flock. Pastor is a shepherd, one who leads the flock and, and guides the flock. But then you have also uh, uh, the term elder, which speaks of the wisdom and the maturity. So those are three different faces of the one man. Because we know a man can have multiple faces. When you look at me, you see a son. You also see a father. I happen to be a king because he is the king of kings. And so I'm a royal priesthood. I have many facets of who I am, of who God has made me to be. I'm a warrior. I'm a lover. I'm a friend. And so for elders, there are different facets of the one man or the one office, elder, bishop, pastor. They can be used interchangeably, but some churches, they designate these terms differently. And so we're, we don't split hairs over that kind of stuff, but from a biblical standpoint, you can call me a bishop, you can call me a pastor, you can call me an elder, it doesn't matter. Just don't call me late for dinner. And then we went on to say that a strong tower, the elder team is comprised of lay elders and paid elders. Because we see that precedence in scripture where some elders, they made their living tent making. Other elders made their living in the ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, those who preach the gospel should make their living off the gospel. Some people, 1 Timothy 5, make their work, make their work at preaching and teaching, at studying the word. Whereas for others, that's not their primary job. Some of us have even gone to school to prepare to preach and teach God's word well. So at Strong Tower, what we've done is that the lay elders or the elders who uh, make a living outside of the church, we call them elders. And then the guys who are paid, 
we call ourselves pastors, just to differentiate as far as the terminology. But technically, pastors are elders and elders are pastors. So we beat that horse pretty well last week. And then I let you know that at Strong Tower, we make decisions in unanimity. We don't vote as far as majority wins. We're either all there or we're not. And I happen to be um, looking at the model, the Exodus model with Moses as the leader. And even the early church looks like James, the Lord's brother, was the leader of leaders. And so I happen to be the leader of the leaders here as the senior pastor. I'm the first among equals on our elder team. Well, today, with the time we have remaining, let's talk about what elders do. So we talked about last week, what is an elder? And it's important to understand that. And again, some of us grew up in different kinds of church governments where elders did not lead the church, deacons led the church, or whatever. Um, But again, we're trying to have a, a good grasp of ecclesiology or the study of the church. Lord, would you show us how the church is to operate? So what do elders do? Well, there are two overarching responsibilities of an elder. And the Bible says a whole lot about elders in scripture. That's why we'll need more time next week. But the two overarching responsibilities are as elders, elders shepherd the flock of God. And secondly, elders manage the resources of God. So we're talking about people and polity. Again, you just can't have it all people and it can't all be polity. It has to be a balance as with your body of organism and organization. And so there is a people aspect and a polity aspect. There's a spiritual and a material aspect of leading a church. And we have to deal with members and we also have to deal with money. And so you have business and you have also spiritual matters as well. Not that business is not spiritual. So elders shepherd the flock of God and we manage the resources of God. As far as shepherding the flock, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Peter said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, being overseers. So he even mixed the words because they can be used interchangeably. So we're to be among the sheep, not above the sheep. Secondly, we're to manage the resources of God. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30, talk about a love offering that was taken uh, in Jerusalem to aid Christians who were struggling in other parts of the world. And then there would come a time where the Jerusalem church was suffering and people need to take an offering for the Jerusalem Christians. But the point is, elders had to oversee that offering. It's going out and it's coming in. There would be times where Paul would receive offerings and he had to let the people know, even alongside of him was Titus, that they were being good stewards of the money because back then, as well as today, there are charlatans and thieves who will take God's money from God's people and use it for selfish and demonic means. And so elders manage God's resources with integrity. First Timothy chapter five, verse 17 says that elders who rule well, the NIV says those who direct the affairs of the church. And so there's a management side. But then there's also a people side. The people side, you have more of a transformational leadership style where we're calling people up. But then on the management side, it's more transactional where we're dealing with issues and money and policy and all of that kind of stuff. And to have a good church, especially in the West, in America, there has to be this kind of balance that occurs. So when the elder team gets out of balance, it's going to go one way or the other. 
<laughs> you know, it's going to be too much into people and, and the business is shoddy. Or it'll be too much into business and you wonder if they even care about people. So that's why many times it's good to have pastors who have a calling. Their life is in this thing to shepherd people. But then when you bring in men who sit on boards and on different communities and they have a different kind of wisdom that they bring, it's like uh, uh, bringing in hot air and cold air that creates thunder. You need both to create that sound. And so you need the hot air and the cold air. Now, some elders have more hot air than others, but you come together and it's a good thing. And that's where, and you see this theme in scripture where with with the kingdom of God, we talked about this this morning, that God calls us to be one, but we're not the same. God works in diverse unity. We all don't have the same gifts or the same perspectives, the same experiences. But because of Christ, there's enough oneness in him that we can bring our differences to the table to press on for his agenda and not ours. So there's beauty in the diversity, even on a leadership team and even in your marriage. I'm just going to stop there and say that because, uh, my God, a man is not like a woman and a woman is not like a man. God put you two together, and when you got married, you were thankful for those differences. But about a month later, you were like, why isn't she more like me? You better be glad she's not like, because God's using her differences to make you more like him. He's using his differences to make you, sister, more like the Lord. Oh, can somebody say amen? I slipped that in for free. That was just for free right there. So what do we do? We shepherd and we manage. Well, Elders shepherd the flock by, and notice the verbs on this list, serving among the people, leading by example, teaching sound doctrine, protecting against divisive people, and ministering through prayer. Oh, wow, we could just jump into any one of these and talk about them uh, for a good while. But just serving, serving among the people. Um, To be a leader in the kingdom, you have to be a servant. You know, Jesus said the world rules over people, but in the kingdom, you lead them by serving them. Um, It's not about positions and titles. It's about picking up a basin and a towel and washing feet, modeling that you can give of yourself. It's not about people giving to you. It's about you giving to others. You model servant leadership. That's what elders should be about. Um, We also lead by example. Watch how we serve. Imitate our lives. We are not perfect, as we'll see next week. Blameless doesn't mean perfect. We'll talk more in depth about that next week. But imitate our lives. Imitate our marriages. Imitate how we parent. Imitate how we handle our finances. But above all, imitate our faith. Hebrews 11 says that the elders were, they got a good report because of their faith. We should be men who believe God, who trust what God says, who he is, his nature, his character, his track record. We should be men of faith. Follow us as we follow Christ. We should teach sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. I'll get into that uh, when we get into chapter two. But sound doctrine is not perfect doctrine. No Christian, no church has perfect doctrine. Nobody knows everything there is to know about the Bible. Matter of fact, when Paul was being, uh, let me see here. Uh, No, Peter was writing and he said the things that Paul was writing were difficult to understand. So if one apostle in the first century said that another apostle's writings in the first century were difficult to understand, how dare we come along with arrogance to say we know exactly what Paul meant when he wrote what he wrote to the Romans concerning, you know, uh, sin in chapter six. 
That's why we have to be humble Bible interpreters, humble Bible expositors, because we don't know everything. We're looking through a glass dimly. One day we will know fully as we are fully known. But until then, mm, let my talk be full of grace as it's seasoned with salt. So there are things about the, the kingdom, about the faith that we don't budge on. But there are other things, man, we're still learning. And we can agree to disagree because they are what we would interpret secondary issues. And so an elder, pastors, we must, you know, emphasize the main nuances of scripture, like the person and work of Jesus Christ, the infallibility and inerrancy and authority of scripture and the exclusivity of Jesus for salvation, those kinds of things. But concerning some of the secondary issues, uh, we don't need to get into all of that stuff. Sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. But then we also have to protect against divisive people because there are wolves out here. There are imposters out here. And it's elders who watch for souls. We are watchmen on the wall. And so we want to make sure that because every now and then a sheep will, or a wolf will come up in here dressed in sheep's clothing to try to devour the people of God. And so we have to, as shepherds with that staff, we have to tell some people to shoo, to get on, because you're disruptive. You are coming up in here with a different spirit on you. Now we understand that people come in with different spirits, and when they come in here, they must submit to the Holy Spirit of God. But if they choose not to submit to the Holy Spirit of God, then the elders must be the ones with the laying of hands ministry, even authorizing the security team and the deacons to get certain people up out of here. We have to do that. This is a strong tower. It has to be a safe place. And so even now, as we look at terrorism on the rise, even in America, oh, we got to watch out today. We can't be so spiritual that we are naive, which is why Jesus said, be wise as a serpent, yet harmless as a dove. So we are lambs and we are also lions. You don't want to hear me roar. Don't nobody bring me no bad news. You don't want to see that side of me. I went down to whiz. I'm sorry, y'all. We're lambs and we're lions. And that's what you are as a Christian. Because Jesus was lamb and lion. And you have to protect your family. You have to protect what they watch on television, what children say to them in school. You have to protect what images and what messages. You have to be bold as a lion, for the righteous are as bold as a lion. We have to stand up, but yet we are harmless. We're like lambs. So, Lord, show us when to be lamb. Show us when to be lion. Sometimes folks trip when you become a lion because then they think that you've never been a lamb. That you could be so much of a lamb, folks think that you're not a lion. Oh my, but don't get me started now. Don't get me started because you can see both sides. Praise the Lord. Let me keep on moving. We also minister through prayer. You know, James 5, you know, if you have a sickness, man, go to the elders. Let the elders pray over you and all of that good stuff. Not that we have more access to God. No, because every believer is a priest of God and can get to God the Father in the name of Jesus. But there's something about the local church and what God has set up. And therefore, elders, he's given keys of the kingdom to bind and to loose. And we can lay hands on the sick and they can recover. We can anoint with oil. We can pray. Yes, you can and yes, you should. But we don't want to bypass prayer through and in the local church. You know, sometimes I'll read things that you post on Facebook and you'll put something out there. And I will pray for that situation that you you may have put on Facebook. 
And it may not be that we're in the same room and I'm laying hands on you, but man, I am praying for you when I see something on Twitter or if I hear something that somebody's going through something, I'm like, man, let's pray. And I'm, I'm not only doing that, but my family pastor's doing that. Our worship pastor, the elders are doing that. And, and yes, we can always pray more because whenever you see the elders in the book of Revelation, every time you look at it, they are on their knees, on their face, praying around the throne. And so that should be the posture. And prayer is work. And that's why we don't pray a lot because it's work to pray. But man, when you get in that sweet spot in prayer, you know, sometimes it starts off like, oh man, I'm, I'm this flesh, I got to beat it down. But when the spirit breathes on that prayer meeting, that moment of prayer, you look up, man, you've been praying for an hour and it didn't feel like that. And you've been calling out stuff and saying things, stuff you didn't even know about. God puts in your spirit to pray and speak into the heavenly places. Oh my elders and I thank God for my brothers when we get together and when we pray elders finally not only shepherd the flock but we manage resources and we do that by maintaining corporate financial integrity because some people will get into the ministry for the sake of gain financial gain and uh, thank God that has not been the case here we also distribute financial resources properly we have to pay our vendors and we pay them on time. We uh, support missionaries. And I have uh, a couple letters I was going to read today from missionaries who are just saying thank you. Sometimes they'll send cards every month saying thank you for the support from Strong Tower Bible Church because support is drying up all over the place. And so people are very appreciative and they'll send cards and they'll say how they're praying for us. And sometimes these things bring me to tears. Um, and so we have to support missionaries. We support our employees as well. Um, the elders develop and enforce operational policy because this is a business and there are staff members. We have to have a way that we do things. And so there has to be order. There has to be proper human resources. And again, many of you come from that place in the marketplace where there's a lot that you can teach us and show us. But I am thankful to say that over the years, Strong Tower Bible Church has grown in this department of doing all things well and in excellence. And then also protecting and improving the church's physical assets. Uh, before we moved into this building, our assets were microphones and <laughs> lights and chairs and all that kind of stuff. But now we have a bigger responsibility to steward now. And we're learning this. Pastor Darrell says it's going to take us about five years to really understand where we are and what God has given us. And we're growing into what it means now to be homeowners. And, you know, when the toilet leaks over there and whatever goes on over here and we got to fix that or the city wants to get a parcel of our land to put something up down there. And this is real. Or they, you know, we see people using the parking lot to use Radnor Lake and they're parking up here before church, taking up your parking spots. And how do we work through these assets that we have so that we can have a good reputation with the city, but also make sure that we're able to take care of what the people of God need. So these are things elders wrestle with in elders meetings and even beyond elders meetings. And so what is an elder? An elder is a spiritually mature man who is called by God and ordained to lead the local church. What do they do? They shepherd the flock of God and manage the resources of God in the local church. So in conclusion, according to the book of Titus, a good church will have good leaders. And then that will produce good teaching, which will lead to good works. But the first key to having a good church is to establish good leaders. Now, next week, we'll talk about who qualifies to be an elder 
or what are the qualifications of an elder next week. Now, as you're listening, again, some men may feel a tug to either get back on the team or to you know, want to get on the team for the first time. So I'll, I'll give you some directions on that. But here's another thing you need to just put away. There are a lot of men in our church who meet the qualifications for being an elder, but they're not supposed to be an elder. So I don't want you to hear from me any kind of manipulation or something to say that if you meet these qualifications, you should be an elder. No, because all the sharp men can't serve as an elder. Elders lead the church, but we still need people to lead in the church. And so the call is for leaders, men, women, but especially men, men to rise up and lead and to lead by being servant leaders like Jesus Christ. And man, that's the the key to a good church. So I'm going to pray. And then I believe we have Stephanie who's going to come up and close us out. Father God, thank you for this word and for teaching us about the church Thank you, Lord, that this is not just theory. This is empirical knowledge because you're letting us walk through this. And Lord, like our body, we're growing, we're changing, we're transitioning, we're developing. Lord, um, we're shedding some things. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for keeping your hands on this body. And as we sang and prayed today, there's so much work to be done locally, nationally, internationally. But there's also, Lord, in this house, So many wounds to bind up, so many people who need encouragement, so many gifts that are sitting here in this church. So we thank you. Keep on working, Lord. Thank you that this is your church. You're the head. We follow your dictates and help the elders to lead as you are leading us. We pray this in Jesus' name.